Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. We have our final movie for February. And it is, uh, boy, we... Well, we couldn't get by without doing this movie. No. Good Lord, dude. We would have been strung up by our fucking heels. Or any, hit with branding irons. Yeah, any any Burt movie from this window of time, of this type of movie, if we didn't cover it. The whole celebration of February wouldn't make any sense. No, God, no. And I'm glad we saved it for last. Yeah, man, save the best for last. Save the best for last, because I didn't know what to get from this. And and we've definitely, uh, the three movies that we've watched, we've definitely experienced a different feeling about all three movies. Not not totally bad, just different, especially the end. I think we've been completely flip-flopped on what that movie's about. Yes. Hooper, there's no confusion about what Hooper is. No. Hooper is a love letter to stuntmen and stunt women everywhere. That's what it's for. And it still works this many years later. Yeah, man. I mean, this movie, like I, like I had texted you, it's a shaggy dog of a movie, man. There's no way you can't like it, dude. You just want to sit down, fucking scratch its head, smile, drink some beer and laugh. Bert has never been more likable. I don't think in anything than he is in this movie. Yep. This is only a year removed, right? From... From Smokey the year before. Yep. Uh, Hal Needham also directed that. No surprise there, right? Right. Well, a movie about stuntmen directed by one of the the best stuntmen. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. This is the second time in our series that uh, he plays a guy named Sonny. Check it out. Stickly, Sonny, Sully, Sonny. <laughs> We're coming back around. We should have bookended with Sonny's. Anyway. Sonny, so- Sonny. <laughs> this time he's got some friends with him, but I think at this stage they were just becoming friends and, and and you're seeing them return return because this is the first thing that Sally and Bert did after they met and became a couple on Smokey and the Bandit and uh, we got Brian Keith Jan Michael Vincent now but I gotta tell you something when Jan Michael Vincent shows up I, again it had been a long time since I seen, seen it I kept thinking going man does he have like a, is he kind of a dick move dude like the apprentice that he was in the in mechanic, mechanic right right <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like, it, it's funny, like on paper, if you just looked at it, you'd be like, oh, so this is like the mechanic, but with stuntmen, but it's not. Thank God. Yeah. So I thought he was going to do that and he doesn't. Here's what's really funny. I had to look it up and I made the extra effort. The stunt coordinator on the mechanic was a man by the name of Alan Gibbs. Alan Gibbs was Bert's stunt double in Smokey. Right. <laughs> I thought that was a really fun little fact. No, it's totally cool. I mean, I mean, it's it's funny because th- there's a lot of that in this movie. If you sort of you know connect the dots, if you will. Yeah. So yeah, it, there's some there's a lot, this movie's a lot of fun, man. You know, I mean, we'll hear it because we didn't do this last week. We didn't talk about what the fuck the plot was or anything. Right. So in this, the plot's very simple. Yep. Older number one Hollywood stuntman, young and up and coming stuntman. Can they get along together? You know, and here's the thing, what they didn't do, which was great is they didn't, it didn't become a competition between the two of them. Bert, you know, Sonny's at the end of his career. He knows it. And it's, it's a, it's a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Sonny was ski 20 years ago to Jocko and they, yep. they do, they explain it. You get the whole thing out of the way. Uh, but instead of becoming like a weird, bitter competition, Bert embraces it because he likes the kid and the kid is not a dick. Nobody's a dick in this movie. There is nobody no. is a dick in this movie, which is well, great. Well, is. well yeah. but is he really? Are you talking about, are you talking about um, Robert Klein? Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> is he really a dick? a dick? 
Uh, no, come on, dude. I, to, to not I mean, give he's, a shit. he's a director. Not give, not give a shit if those guys are going to die. He's a director. That's, they're all like that, aren't they? <laughs> oh, no, no. I know, but that doesn't say they're not dicks. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. they, they don't really play it as, you know, I, I don't feel like you watching this movie and you're like, fucking, I hate that guy. Because yeah, but he gets what he, he gets what he deserves. Sure, in the end. of course. You know, it, yes, he gets his come up. It's and it's and it's fine too because it's also it's it's uh, it's it's done in a way that is you know it's funny when it happens yeah. and it's they don't it, they don't make a meal of it. It just happens and you're like fuck yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the setup for it. And from that point on, in between the little <laughs> the little bits of plot and story. <laughs> You get to see some of the best stunts you've seen ever put to film. Some of it you've seen before. Some of it you really haven't, especially the climax is just right craziness. <laughs> and I loved all the angles, but we'll get to that. You get everything that you want in this movie. You get bar fights. You get fucking <laughs> horse. You know, you get cowboy stagecoach stuff. You get gladiator races. You get helicopter falls. You get, um, dude, what about that sequence I was laughing so hard. I was like, good Lord, dude, what's with the James Bond music? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like the no, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, you change a few notes, it's just a score, but man, it, it, I mean, but they do a really good job of putting you in the frame of mind of which movie these, you know, what, what this is supposed to be. And the fact that Sonny is Adam West's son yep. double is the, yep. the best. It really is. You get introduced to to him early on in the movie that they're making. That's one of the cool things about it. Even though the life of a stuntman very much is like you can work on 25 movies a year because you're just being brought in for one gag or two, and then you move on to something else. With this, they are making a, a movie that under the guise of Robert Klein's Roger Deal, who's hysterical in the part, plays it perfectly, as we just were talking about. And his male lead in this is Adam West, who plays himself in the movie that we're watching. The movie within a movie. He didn't really say what his character name is, but but Sonny is the stunt coordinator for this picture. And he's the guy that oversees everything. He is the Buddy Lee Hooker of the movie. The Hal Needham of the movie. Buddy Joe Hooker? Him too. Buddy, yeah, that <laughs> Buddy guy Lee, too. Buddy Lee's in the background <laughs> playing music. <laughs> Edits. Yeah, I got you, man. Anyways, the silly ass movie is called The Spy Who Laughed at Danger. Yes. Which is an atypical studio name. Sure. <laughs> and so like you like we were talking about earlier, you know, it's it's old and versus new and the transition of the new coming in as the old is stepping out. And uh and that is the through line of the entire movie, but it is chock full of some of the best stunts ever. I gotta say though, I'm gonna jump ahead real quick. Almost because I want to talk about the stunts in the movie, obviously, are the the focal point and the star of the movie. I, I love there's a line in there where Robert Klein's character, Roger Deal, says no one ever won an Oscar being lazy as they're getting ready to shoot the big finale, which was going to be like, you know, 12 cameras shooting this this chaos all at one time as opposed to multiple setups into the climax with this rocket car they built jumping over this bridge that they've demoed. It's the one time there's not an actual stunt in the movie. <laughs> right. But what struck me funny when they use this miniature of the car jumping the bridge, doesn't it look like the newer Camaros? Yeah, absolutely. Like it had like a longer front end. I thought that was kind of, well, that's a little prophetic, man, considering what they're supposed to be doing the jump in. And I brought that up just because 
even though it's jumping ahead to, to the point of the movie, we never really stay in one spot with the new format. I, cause I want to emphasize how many amazing stunt workers and gags are in this movie. And like you said, it's like a grace hits of definitely sixties and seventies work. One of the other things about the movie that it's kind of about, but the, you know, the relationship between, between Hal Needham and, and Bert was always a really cool little thing because of Hal being Bert Stannon and other things. It's a lot of what the relationship between Cliff and Rick are in once upon a time in Hollywood. It was an obvious tribute to that. And of course, if you've seen the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Leo's character in it was when he's in the episode of FBI. Ironically, that was Burt Reynolds in the actual broadcasted episode, which I thought was kind of cool. A little, and I never knew that part of the uh, of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood until after I'd already seen the movie and poked around a little bit to find out that he was actually playing Burt Reynolds in that in that episode. Right. And Burt Reynolds was supposed to play the old man Spawn, but he yeah. passed away, I think, two or three days before they actually shot it. And then they replaced yeah. him with Bruce Dern. So and he would have been, he would have been perfect for that. Yeah, man. Just, it would have been, it should, dude, it would have been, you know, it would have been fun. But it had been a the complete full circle for him if that would have been the last thing he did. Right. The crazy thing about this movie is like, you see a lot of these guys in that bar fight where Brett, you know, and dude, Bradshaw was a fucking stud at that point. He, that was, yep. he was still playing. He just, fuck, he doesn't even look like the Terry Bradshaw you see now <laughs> when you're no. like, I mean, he's fucking, dude, he's a big dude and he is like fit as a fucking fiddle, as they say. Him. You know, him and Robert Tessier, who uh, you probably remember from The Longest Yard and also maybe Blade, what is it, what is it, Robert, Robert Tessier was, he was one of the inmates. He was also in Hard Times yeah. and in The Longest Yard. He's been in a ton of shit, but, mm -hmm. you know, he's very distinctive looking. But that scene is so much fun, dude. That bar fight, it just yeah. goes and, it, you know, they destroy that set. <laughs> and then they all do the, you know, they all do the window gag. <laughs> yeah. And they all really do it too. Right. That's no, something it's, I was like going, dude, Bert gets tossed out the window and you follow him all the way out to where he sits there up and turns to the camera. There is no cut. No, none yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, and then Terry goes right after him. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, and then dude, and, and when Brian Keith throws himself out the window, it's fucking fantastic. But the four <laughs> movies that we've covered, this is the one movie you cannot argue with me that Burt Reynolds isn't lovable and likable no. throughout the whole thing. Dude, that's what I'm saying. I, I think I said it before we jumped on. Burt is, you know, this is Burt at his likable best. I mean, you yeah. know, this movie. There's nothing in this movie. There, there's nothing I would say they should change in this movie. There's nothing that doesn't feel, it doesn't outstay its welcome. The plot is simple enough. All the characters, we know, we know why everybody's in this movie. Jan Michael Vincent is great in it. Sally Field is, is adorable. Uh, Brian Keith as her dad and Bert's mentor is perfect. Yeah. Uh, John Marley basically playing Lawrence Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> James Best, dude. Let's talk about James Best for a moment yes. for those people who only know him as Roscoe P. Coltrane from yes. uh, The Dukes of Hazard. The way he plays Cully is very much the way he plays Roscoe. Yes, just not yeah. as goofy. Yeah. Yeah, a little, little elevated, but that, I mean, when you see him in other things, yeah. And what's great is when you look at the same year when he has this one little moment in the end, which we talked about, He's just standing there, use the phone all wrapped up like he was Cully in there for for getting beat up. You know, and he's on the phone talking to a sweetie, like, you know, even though he shouldn't be out of bed, there he is on the phone in the end. And this, he's exactly that character we just see momentarily in the end. He's super funny. 
and he's completely daring as as Bert's best friend, and he's just his guy Friday. Like if you want to say that, yeah, he, I mean, and, his man and Best had you know Best had a super super long career, man. And I think yeah. maybe the first time he'd worked with Bert, if I'm not wrong, was maybe Gator, Gator yeah. or White Lightning. I think it was Gator. But yeah, I mean, dude, you know, James Best could go from playing this character to playing a real fucking scumbag piece of shit in Rolling Thunder and, and you buy both versions of it. It's funny because you would have thought after the success of Hooper that James Best and Burt, that, that's a team, that's a comedy team. I think I need a little more. I needed a little more of. I just didn't get it. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah, I agree. Must have been the Dukes of Hazard. Must have yeah. taken up all of his time. Man, must have. Hanging out with Sorrel Book and the and the Duke boys. Yeah. <laughs> because of Hooper and because of Smokey, it's, it's a reason why a, a show like Dukes of Hazard ever got made. And it is a lot like these movies that the characters and that Hooper are supporting and creating. There's, I mean, those back then, man, it was all about shows where let's put lots of stunts in it and they weren't afraid studios television and movies were not afraid to use them because when we grew up in the 70s man that's all we got yeah 100 <laughs> percent. it was just constant stream of of real ballsy wall-to-wall stunt movies and it was good stuff and it was rare that it wasn't entertaining rare and everyone's wanting to get a movie like convoy but <laughs> this disguise as a as a hooper type movie and it's not but Hooper is the pinnacle of those movies because it is a little bit like you, like you discussed earlier, it's a little bit inside baseball and the whole movie is like that. And if you're not super familiar with the pieces and parts that they're representing, you soon will be if you do a little research after you watch the movie, cause it's so good. It's not the one that I've found to be the least unchanged it's like I'm so I'm at the four movies that we watched. This is the one of the movies that is as old as any of the other movies that we watched, and yet it's as unchanged as any of the movies that we watched, which is surprising because easily because it's time stamped in a big way. It's a movie about Hollywood, and it's funny because. And I want to say, is that why I like it this the most? Or is this just this is it's one of the reasons. The other reason is this is the movie. Like if I had to explain to people the appeal of Burt Reynolds, I would probably sit them down and make them watch Hooper. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like out of the four movies that we picked, you'd be like, what made Burt Reynolds a star? Uh, Stick? No. The End? No. I mean, Switchy Channels? No. Okay, guys, we'll sit down and watch Hooper. And if you don't get it, you'll never get it. But I mean, Hooper is the, you know, to me, that's like the, it's weird because there's a lot before it and and a lot after it, but the pinnacle of why people were in love with Burt Reynolds at this period is to me is Hooper. Yeah. And you know, Sonny Hooper. Yeah. It's funny too. You know, what's become not commonplace, but not a surprise anymore is like blooper reel credits during the crawl. Right. Right. Tell me that the first time you saw this movie and you saw them doing that, the small little screen, blooper crawl because this was this was like one of the first movies that ever did it and it became a staple for Needham because he did it with Smokey too he did it with Stroker Ace he did it with the Cannonball movies yep and that's got it expected at that point like oh man this is this is a Burt Reynolds movie even if Hal hadn't directed it you're expecting the blooper reel crawl oh yeah in the sure. crawl, blooper reel 
and you get it in this and it shows you the kind of fun that they had on these movies and making them. One of the things that we, we talked about with this movie is how obvious it is that shot uh, for the most part at Universal, you get a little bit of the other ranches involved too um, down the street in Burbank. But the big finale was shot in Alabama. Yeah, like Tuscaloosa or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. They were just, the whole area was going to be, it's a whole World War II military hospital. And, and they were going to demo it anyway. They referred to the, the whole sequence that they put together there, Damnation Alley, which was a movie. Sorry, Jan Michael Vincent. <laughs> Jan Michael Vincent. I thought that was kind of cute. That's yeah, funny. You know, it is. It's very it's like inside baseball, dude. Yeah. But that's what makes these movies fun. This kind of movie, and that's why it has success back then. I mean, it pulled in. Dude, we talked about this number the other day. $78 million. That's a lot of money for a movie that only costs six. Yeah, in 1978, it's a shit ton of money. And boy, if there was a way to prove how big of a movie star he was, that's it right there. The fact that any movie was spent, they spent $6 million making in 1978. Well, $6 million is still not a lot of money, if, even for the time period. You know, it, it wasn't yeah. a ton of money. No, that's what I mean. Well, but I mean, it, it, it's a lot when you consider what it really was. But I think what, it, what they were going for is making sure those stunt guys really got paid. Because there were lots of amazing gags in it. But $78 million when you don't have as many screens in the world says a lot. But not like we mentioned before, though, this is the time when a movie was successful. It would stay there for months and months and months. Dude, this movie played the drive-in in Visalia for probably three, four months. Yeah, yeah. This is back when you, you weren't looking to open on, in a weekend. You know, you, Yeah, you, it was a lot. You played the long game. Totally. And the studios knew that. That's why they never put out a shit ton of movies because they knew they could put out one. And if they had a hit that grabbed, they could just leave it out there. Um, they weren't looking at, at a home video window because it didn't exist. We were like seven or eight years away from that even starting, much less hitting its pinnacle. Movies like this stuck around because they were the only place to see it. Right. And if you didn't see it on a first run, it might be the back end of a double feature when you go see something that's out that's fresh. I think I saw Hooper probably twice that way. I think I saw it as a, as a second feature. I'm like, what's cooler than sitting in your car watching a movie about mostly about car stunts at the drive-in? It's perfect. Yeah, totally. I yeah. feel, yeah, we, I definitely, I definitely saw it at a drive-in. Um, probably the first two or three times I saw it because it was a thing we did. Like, and again, like I said, it played for like three, three months <laughs> at the Moody drive-in. It would rotate from, First feature to second feature. Yeah, yeah. It would move to the other side because we had two screens and they would rotate. Yeah, you know, it was, and we, we, you would always get a new movie with it. I'm telling you, man, I, I saw Hooper probably, you know, three, four times just that way. And because there was no, there was no rentals shit back then when we were kids. It wasn't like you could rent it on VHS. Right. We grew up at a time when that stuff kind of became something and, right. and grew into something. Right. It was, I remember like people like, this is never going to take off. Who wants to sit at their house and watch, you know what I mean? And now that's all we got. Yeah, dude, this movie was something I saw probably as much as I saw Smokey and I saw, I was able to see Smokey like I did every day on HBO. And then soon enough, you know, Smokey got replaced with Hooper in that same fashion where I feel like it was on like every day or every other day. 
You know what's crazy, dude? I didn't realize is uh, until I just looked it up here. But James Best, him and Bert met. James Best was an acting teacher. And that's how they met, like, you know, in the late 50s, early 60s. Wow. That's actually kind of cool. I Dude, I love James Best. And this the Cully character in this. As far as when Cully is his goofiest, that's Roscoe the whole time. Like when he come home and he's drunk on the couch. Oh, yeah. And that's something else, too. There's a line in there that reminds me about just the excess that these guys had. And they weren't doing it just to party necessarily. They're doing it because they need none themselves because they're in so much pain. Bert and Sally come home from seeing Jocko, Jocko in the hospital. And he's like, hey, you know, Bert says, hey, say some of that tequila for the morning. Say, if someone, say, say some of the tequila for breakfast. And I just thought that was like super funny, but really these guys went through so much, you know, when they pull their gags and with a studio and most of the time directors don't give a fuck about their well-being as long as they get their shot. They make that a bold statement quite a bit in the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. And also the drug and alcohol use is hit at you right at the beginning. Cause as soon as Sonny, before we're introduced to his face and know that it's Bert underneath that helmet and uh, the guy that's getting ready for that stunt at the very beginning. Great opening, by the way. He does these two quick gags where he goes under, slides a motorcycle under a tractor trailer, and then he gets back on two wheels and flips over a car. And he gets up, if you call cut, and he's walking with James Best now. It's Bert Reynolds, helmet off. You got any perks? Yeah, totally. Because he's like, he's in pain. Immediately, like I, I'm already feeling this. Yeah, man, <laughs> it's it, it's very crazy. Like at the time, man, and then when I was a kid, I had no fucking idea what he was talking about. Perks, uh, perks. <laughs> yeah, you know. And now, like, watching even watching it last night, I was like, I maybe giggle. I was like, oh, good lord, man. Yeah, it's just so open. And then he's like, hey, the perks are kicking in. Yeah. <laughs> he starts dancing around. Right. He does a little ch- jump heel tap and. And then he goes up in his trailer. When he falls back out and Bess catches him like they're in a musical. Yeah, it's great. That little perkadea. I mean, I, there's just so much, the whole movie, like I said, it's it's got just like a natural charm to it, like laid back. You really like everybody. Yeah. There's like, you know, you'd, you'd want to hang out. That scene with Bert early on where he, uh, him and Sally come out and, and, and they meet the other stuntman and with the kid and these kids like, I can do a stunt. Right. <laughs> you know, just that whole bit the way bird is with the kid it's great cut to that fucking stuntman charity show which is great i mean dude there's so much I mean, there's a lot going on right there it's wild here's another weird thing that uh i didn't realize that this was not just to stuntman in general but to jack mahoney who is sally field's stepfather oh about that? What was funny to me was when they're watching, you know, Sonny's reel, and then right. suddenly they cut to Deliverance. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's Bert. Man. I wonder if Bert did his own stunt. I mean, he must have done his own stunt because there's no way to fake that. No. That canoe bit, that's pretty hardcore shit. Yeah, I agree. Well, anyway, I, I mentioned earlier that, that joke about the, uh, you know, the, the, hey, no one ever you know, won an Oscar by being lazy. This is, of course, 1978, probably was being filmed in 77, probably in around that time. Right. And still to this day, the recognition that stunt people get or don't get by the Academy is still a travesty. And that's the joke. It doesn't, doesn't land for me because I, I you know, we're always been, been very big supporters of stunt people and the recognition they get from their peers. But 
to this day, I still feel like even though you got guys like Graf out there doing some of the best fucking work in the business, no dirt, you know, where care is being shown across the board and not just for the performers, but for the production itself. And I feel like now the project is lasting on the list of, of concerns, but still the industry as a whole still looks down on stunt people and, and don't in the, in the sense they're not given the recognition they deserve. It's fucked because yes, there's a lot more CG gags being done now with, with stunts just because some things are just too unsafe to do with a human. Yeah. We break, but there's lots of things that are done now in a box because they think it's cheaper. I'm like, well, yeah, they've already built the model. All I have to do is just say, yeah, use that model in the stunt inside, you know, when they're doing CG stuff, it sucks. Yeah. And I don't know if that's ever going to change, you know, but if you love stunt people and we, and you love what they do for the sake of entertainment and for not a very big dollar. And I think that's what is very clear in this when they decided there's this big gag they're going to do in the climax of this movie. And then Bert just says, yeah, well, you know what? We can do this, but it's going to cost a hundred grand. Now you doesn't, it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when he says 50 for me and 50 for ski. Right. Well, also, you know, 1978, 100 grand right. went a lot further than it did. But still, really, I mean, to fucking, you know, to risk your life and your career and everything for 50 grand seems yeah. awfully. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like a lot. And at this point, we already know what the next thing that happens to him is going to be. Oh, yeah. We see Jocko. Yeah. You know, it's funny because they don't hit that over the head. But, no. you know, you do see. It's the evolution, man. And they, and they kind of, I, I like the way that, you know, they kind of just, they drop that knowledge on you, but it's not like they don't beat you over the head with it. And it's right. not the whole point of the movie. They don't make, you know, it doesn't become that, thank God, because this movie is infectious, man. You, mm-hmm. you, you watch it, you can't not be in a good mood. And don't think I wasn't looking for Alan Graff's uh, name in the credits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that that moment, though, with, with Jocko in the hospital when they go to visit him, that's like the moment between him and Sonny is so sweet. Yeah. You know, it's like, this isn't just his mentor. He's, it's his father. It's a father figure. It, yeah. At least it's his movie dad. Just so happens to be the father of his girlfriend. <laughs> My, yeah, right. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Um, again, that makes sense with, you know, also Bert and Sally were a couple at the point, but right. also I didn't realize Sally Field's stepfather was Jack Mahoney, the <laughs> stuntman. She totally knows what the the stuntman life is all about you know what i mean so it was kind of it's interesting knowing that and my two favorite scenes in this movie both involve bert and brian keith yes <laughs> the hospital scene that you just mentioned and then the end of this party scene at bert's house whether it's uh, you know him ski and uh jocko are sitting there you know they're the last three up and they go outside <laughs> you know? yeah. that scene with the three of them is it's it's great man yeah i mean it it, and it kind of encapsulates and sums up the heart and soul of the movie i think what was most surprising for me about the movie was i really felt like this one wasn't going to hold up out of all of them even more so than stick right because of what they were doing back then. And and we were talking about that a little bit with the end a little bit, but a little bit more with Stick. And so many words said the old days of the Hooper and Smokey type attitude on screen wasn't doesn't fly anymore. 
And I think that's why it affected the way we way we enjoyed certain uh, movies in this series, uh, how we were entertained by them, how the we how, how that had changed a lot. This is the one movie that I feel like I can turn to in a year, in ten years, and still feel the same way I do today that I felt back then. Yeah, like you said, it's an infectious movie. It's an and that thing that we may have been may sound like we're being critical over last week with switching channels with the. <laughs> That didn't work with that movie. No, it was, but yeah, yes. But it it is the charming part of this movie. It to me, it works on every level in this movie because it just does. Like I said, it's all about the tone, and the tone of this movie is stuntmen did everything they could. They had a good time. There's there's a, what's the line? There's a line in there that that Sonny gives to Ski. And he says, "Oh, you don't drink, do you?" And he's like, "No, oh, but dude. I'm willing to start." I was literally when you, I was going to mention that earlier. I was like, "Do you think that's where it all started to go downhill for Jan Michael?" And, and Melody had sit, was sitting on the couch with me, and I was watching that part of it, and she, I go, "Oh, it's the one time you just kind of." It's yeah, it's the one moment where I was like, like fucking so, I, the reality fucking slapped me in the face. I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. And the next yeah. time you see them, they're in the rocket car parked and, and drinking cores, stacked they got the pyramid of cores cans <laughs> behind them. <laughs> Which again made me laugh is you know as a reference from Smoking the Bandit, where they're you know hauling cores illegally cross country. Yeah. yeah, you know they're just leftover props, right, <laughs> from the movie. Yeah, no, it's the, a lifetime. You know, they made they got a lifetime supply of cores. <laughs> right. It's what put cores up. Uh, you know, even with uh, Budweiser back in the day. It was Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds. Such a big deal, man. Yeah, man. It's fun. I mean, the movie is totally fun. I mean, there's just all the, you know, it's just so many little bits and pieces and people popping up in it. You know, again, it's funny because Tim Rosovich, who showed up in Stick. Right. As the, uh, you know, the guy that Burt threw ga- spit gasoline in his face and yeah. <laughs> threw the drink. You know, and Tim Rosovich shows up in this as one of the bouncers who, throw, you know, is throwing our guys out the window at the Palomino. <laughs> Yeah, he seems like he might be the head bouncer of at the Palomino. <laughs> he starts taking umbrage with everybody. I just, I, I loved how it was so, so businesslike. I'm like, oh, well, I guess yep. we're not making any money tonight. Right. <laughs> right go oh, shut well. him down. <laughs> go shut him down. <laughs> like it's like it's a like it's a regular thing. Yeah, there's so many familiar faces in this movie. Like I said, you know, just from the, that time period, right. not not just from Burt movies. If you're a again, this is a movie. It's inside baseball. It's a movie about movies and if you're if you're paying attention and you're deep diving and you're and you're seeing people and you're like holy shit if you have a knowledge of you know films from the 60s and 70s and 50s you're seeing you know you're seeing representations of like oh that's supposed to be so and so you know and then then just to see like brian keith i mean who i think you know him and bert they must have become good friends on this or they, they probably had, you know, they were probably friends before because they immediately went from this into Sharky's machine. Right. Just two years later, Brian, you know, Brian has a big part in Sharky's machine and they, and they have great chemistry together. Yeah. You know, that's the thing I think that really makes this movie work is there's, it's the interplay between everybody in the movie, Best and Reynolds, Reynolds and Fields, Jocko and Sonny and, and Jan Michael Vincent, dude. Him and Bert have a great chemistry together. It's funny, man. And dude, how studly is fucking, I mean, Jan Michael's like fucking looks like he's still like he's carved out of granite in this movie. This is a time where he was, I mean, the mechanic was five, six years before this. Yeah. And big Wednesday was right after this maybe, or same year. 
78, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, this was like kind of the coming out party for Jan Michael. Yeah. Part of it. For some reason, you know, I, I want to feel like considering what Brian Keith's career was like in television in the early days, I kind of think maybe some point along the way, maybe he and Bert ran into each other. Maybe when Bert yeah. did a guest spot on television, some Western or something like that. that yeah, like something. I think so too. Yeah. Everybody was everybody was on the rifleman back in back in the day, right? Of course. I'm so happy I didn't remember like half the people that are in the movie. Even and I don't know why. Because but when but when he when Sonny first returns home after he does that that motorcycle gag in the beginning, he comes home and Sally comes walking out of the house with two cores in her hand. I'm like, oh, that's right, she's in this because they were a couple, like you noted. Then they met on Smokey just the year before. The perfect Burt Reynolds movie from the 70s is this moment where she comes up and brings these two cores, cancer cores. He drinks one and gives the other one to his horse. Yeah, totally. If you needed a tone set for the movie, what you're expecting, and you didn't get it right in the beginning with the perks and, and just him coming out after the stunt going, I'm, the, I'm having a great time just for the sake of everybody else putting on a show. But, you know, with Cully, he's just like, and then when he mentions the kit, yeah, it's a little foreshadowing. You're like, what's the kit? I'm like, oh, I guess we're not going to know. Find out what the kit is. There's like three levels of dealing with pain for Sonny. It's perks and alcohol. It's the kit, which we eventually will see. And it's going to the doctor. But the doctor is like, I don't ever go to the doctor. And Sonny says, I don't ever go to the doctor until he has to. Right. I love that moment where you've already seen him use the kit. And the next time is like, you want to get the kit? No, I need to go to the doctor. Right. What? It's beyond that. And you get a little insight too on the scars that you're seeing from the very beginning when he's prepping for that big motorcycle gag. Oh, dude, that's, is that his, it looks like he had his kidney removed. (laughs) (laughs) That scar, I was like, what the fuck? Is that real? You had scars everywhere, right? And then he meeting with a surgeon and just says, you know, most people could have gone the rest of their life without needing any more work. It's a great little moment, too, of Sonny putting on a show, even for the doctor, but the doctor knows better. Like, you can't fool yeah. me, dude. <laughs> it's funny. It seemed like uh, this Sonny is just a little bit different than our Sonny from the end. When it, You know, th- this, this, this little bit, this, this is like, this is the anti-Sonny from the end, you know, at the doctor's office. Yeah. It's really interesting. I thought the same thing about how different the two Sonnies are. Right. One wants to die and then the other wants nothing more than to be a lot. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just kind of funny. Like yeah. they're polar opposite sunnies. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe again, it's funny that you look at the, we talked about the beard and mustache thing in the end, make the, the studio fighting him about keeping the beard. They want him to shave. They wanted him to look like the bandit. They didn't want him to look like anything yeah. else. And especially no. they also wanted him to look like this sunny. Yeah, well, you know, because those movies, and then the, you know, and then the end ends up breaking in seventy million dollars as well. Yeah, it did, didn't do too shabby. That it's really a big deal. But the movie was out for seventy days and it grossed fifty-five million dollars. Crazy, right? That's totally nuts. Knowing you had that fewer screens to do that, but like we mentioned, movies didn't come and go in a month, and all their money be made. That they weren't chasing, you know, a home video window at that time. Right. And that's why the movies stay in circulation and the movies would get rented as, as the second of a double feature constantly. Yeah. That was the other weird thing. Like, uh, you know, this movie, it's PG, right? Yep. 
Yeah. It's funny because uh, there's not really any, but I feel like now this movie might have, you know, they'd, it would, if it was released today, it would be like a PG 13 or they'd have to dumb down some of the content to keep it from being an R, even though there's no nudity or. Yeah. And it's, and it's about the drug use and the yes. alcoholism. And to me, it's like not even like, it's not even very prevalent. It's, no. You know, they show it, they make reference to it, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't drive the picture anywhere, but still like even the, the amount of drug use and drug talk and, you know, stuff in and out would, there would be conversations about, well, you know, we have to change this to get, to get her to, you know, unless we want an R rating. Right. But this movie overall really is the epitome of Burt Reynolds, the movie star that we've referenced in the other three yeah, episodes. Absolutely. He shines in the movie. He lets other people shine in the movie. But I've always felt that way about early Burt. I always felt like, you know, whether the whether this is just part of his grand design or not, but I always felt like he was always given his co-stars their moment and when it was their moment in any given movie that he did. But the, I didn't feel that way later in his career when he's kind of transitioning into the, the older stuff that we talked about in other episodes where sure. he kind of came back around and kind of embraced where he was in his career and did some really good stuff towards the end. But this man, more than Smokey and the Bandit for me, this to me says this is Burt Reynolds, the movie star. Oh yeah, man. This, this movie is... Like I said, if I had to sit somebody down and show him one movie to explain, you know, Burt Reynolds at the peak of his powers, it'd be Hooper. Yep. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yep. There, I, I got nothing else to say. No. And I, <laughs> and I think it was a perfect way to close out February. Yeah. With a movie that is a good time. If you've never seen it before, check it out. It's super cheap. The, the Blu-ray looks fantastic. And it's got the original trailer on it, too, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, and it's got that great voiceover, you know, yeah. telling you basically. Yeah, and it's the uh, and I love the way the trailer is edited together too because they don't really spoil anything. You no. get you get to see all of what's going to happen, but none of it spoils any of it when right. you watch the movie. Yeah, you even see the manager from the rocket jump. Really. Yep, <laughs> you do. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, by far my favorite of the four movies we covered. Again, if I was going to pick one to watch again next week it'd be definitely be hooper always so yeah man good times febbert wary febbert wary oh and i should also note too this movie was nominated for academy award for best sound right how was that for a movie full of explosions <laughs> i thought that was explosions good. and uh yeah helicopter noise yeah but uh yeah i saw that too and i was like oh that's interesting you know what it lost to star wars the deer hunter oh really well uh... Hmm. Interesting. I don't really remember the deer hunter. It's, yeah. it's something I have not revisited recently. Burt Reynolds, Hooper. Check it out. Enjoy. Fabert Wary. Fabert Wary. It's over, man. Wow. What are we going to do next? Um, hmm. hmm. We already know what we're doing next. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun getting into that. Part of me was like going, this is a perfect way to end the series. And I'm super excited for the next series because... Yeah, after that, after we go through March, listener mail. Listener mail. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd, I'm at Corey underscore Culp. But if you want to support us on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. It's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me on Letterboxd, you can follow me at Tom Cody. That's Tom, C-O-D-Y, Cody. Or till the end of the month, you can follow me at Sharky's Machine. Here it is.